Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 264, we're coming out of the shadows and talking New Orleans voodoo with Dr. Rory O'Neill Schmidt and Dr. Rosary O'Neill. How are you guys doing today? Wonderful. Fantastic. I want to thank you for joining me on a lovely Monday, you're doing Monday morning too. Um, So I appreciate that because not everybody is rise and shine and happy to talk on a Monday, so... We'll take that. We'll take that. All right. Well, you know, you guys have just released this new book, uh, New Orleans Voodoo, A Cultural History. And I think we should start a little bit. What's a little bit of your background? And how did you come to uh, writing a book on New Orleans Voodoo? Start with you, Rosemary. Well, I've always been interested in voodoo, but I have to pass the torch to Rory because she is the one who really initiated this project. Rory. Sure. Well, uh, Mom and I are really um, fascinated by New Orleans history and culture and the art and the people and the architecture and the history and and the ghosts that fill its streets. And so we really wanted to create a work together where we could learn more about um, spiritual practices um, and the history of New Orleans and also present day voodoo that's thriving. And so you jumped in there and you guys are both, you know, you've lived in New Orleans, right? Yes. I grew up there. I lived there. My parents moved down when I was uh, three from New Jersey, um, and I lived there till I went, to, you know, graduated high school from St. Mary's Dominican High School. I have to give a shout out to DHS. <laughs> um, and my mom grew up there, um, was born and raised there, and went to Tulane um, University too. Okay, fantastic. And so, I mean, voodoo obviously is, is one of those things that, you know, it almost seems like jazz and above ground cemeteries. Uh, it's just, it seems to be part of the cultural fabric of New Orleans. And so what, I think, what annoyed you the most when you would see voodoo presented on TV or in the movies being people who had lived there and, uh, you know, dealt with people who certainly uh, voodoo was part of the culture and part of your culture, what was the most annoying thing you would see on TV uh, that had to do with voodoo? Well, I'll answer that. I think the character, uh, the diminishment of of the voodoo religion is what you see on television and in movies. And this sort of goes back to around the 1930s when the first sort of cartoons came out on voodoo. Most recently in in films like uh, The Skeleton, where voodoo is seen like crazed people who somehow tap into some irrational state or come back like monsters from the dead. And it's completely opposite to the prayerful religion of voodoo. Okay. I mean, I remember seeing The Serpent and the Rainbow when I was a kid or whatever. And I'd heard about the book, uh, Wade Davis's book, and that he had gone through the zombification process and everything. If, if you guys uh, out there have not seen The Serpent and the Rainbow, as horror movies go, it's pretty good. It's the one where Bill Pullman goes down to Haiti and gets in a whole bunch of trouble. Uh, the, the big tagline you'd see on the VHS cover is, don't bury me, I'm not dead. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, it made the whole thing seem very scary. And, uh, I think that the reading the book, you realize, okay, um, 
voodoo isn't a scary thing. Some of the symbolism might be a little dark, but that, you know, kind of, that's part of it. And I mean, obviously the, the symbolism is dark in Catholicism. Uh, when you walk yes. into a church at the end of the, at the end of the row, you're going to see a guy crucified. I know. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's dark right away. So for people who might have, uh, a Hollywood idea of what voodoo is. What would be the elevator pitch, uh, you know, or a quick summation you think of a, of a quick way to put it out there as to what it actually is? I think that um, voodoo is powerful. And I think that's what seems scary to people um, because it holds so much power. It's empowering to practitioners. Um, voodoo is a healing religion. It's a peaceful religion. Um, it's a way to you know, respect the earth, respect all of our ancestors that have come before us. Um, it's a way really to honor the dead and to live in the present moment um, and really to practice truth and peace and support um, of each other in the community. Um, it's very vibrant. It's very colorful. There are songs involved. There are beautiful bead tapestries woven. There's a dance that goes along. There's drumming. I mean, um, going to voodoo rituals, it's a very exciting, thrilling, and powerful um, open experience. And so, you know, growing up in uh, New Orleans and in Louisiana, uh, was there ever a point, you know, well, you know, we're talking right here about what, what voodoo is. Um, what was your first experience with it? Like, where was the first time that, you know, because we all we can remember the first time maybe we went to church because we went to a funeral or a wedding, or, you know, some event in our life, you can remember the first time you, you had an encounter. Um, what was your first encounters with uh, the practice of voodoo? I want to get back to, to the question before. Please. I think there's, a, as you know, in our culture, a tremendous fear of death. And one of the things that voodoo attempts to do is to bridge the pain between the living and the dead. Now, that is always going to be scary to people because we live in a kind of a realistic box. And I recall in one of my interviews, because much of my research was with people who are actually practitioners, uh, a, a particular uh, person who was a nurse in an emergency room telling me about how she first got into voodoo through li having lived in a haunted house and having had these experiences, which were terrifying to her, of actually seeing these presences, who she later began to discover were uh, not negative but positive influences. And also having had the experience at the death side of patients of actually experiencing a, the, a light or the passing of a spirit. Now, I think this kind of experience is antithetical to a very realistic culture that we live in in America where you got to think it all out and tweet. And so obviously that would create some unsettling experiences in, in readers and viewers. And it's played upon in the media to make it any kind of that religious unseen experience or seen afterlife seem hysterical or horrific. Well, I like what you said there because I think that's a powerful thing right there. So what you started with is that you've, you've got a woman who's having a haunted house experience or she's having a paranormal experience right. in her house. And then what's the equipment to deal with that? Like, where do you find, you can't call Ghostbusters, you don't call Zach Baggins from Ghost Adventures or whatever, and if you call the priest, what's he going to say? So when people are having like a paranormal experience, 
there doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be, especially we said realistic, materialistic, reductionist kind of viewpoint of the world. There's not often a way, there's no toolbox you can go to for dealing mm-hmm. with what seems to be a paranormal phenomenon in her house. And so she used voodoo as that toolbox as a way to understand and deal with it. Yeah, she 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 evolved into that. Yes, I don't think it was an initially experience, but it was a way to deal with it. Also, a way to accept that they could actually be two realities, that, that she could actually live through it, that, you know, she could actually stay with it and see that in some ways it was an experience of knowing that she would live on after death. Yeah. And that could be a very uplifting experience. And that's part one of the biggest lessons that we learned with the researching our New Orleans Voodoo book was that death is not the end. And that, that's a core, I think, tenet of studying the spirituality. Another aspect that we learned was you don't find voodoo, voodoo finds you. So different things might be happening in your life, either it's, you know, being in a haunted house or overcoming some tragedy or, or losing someone. And somehow people, um, voodoo comes into their lives and they develop that um, and they explore that and they integrate aspects of that spirituality into their own spiritual practices. And that's kind of what I want to get into like how you guys had your first experience with voodoo or the first time you crossed it in a real setting, as opposed to like, I've been to the voodoo museum and I go to all the Marie Laveau stuff. And I mean, remember, I, I think the, uh, the first time that I ever even not necessarily had like an ex- voodoo experience or anything, but an actual someone making a comment about it uh, outside of a uh, tourist setting. We, we were down in New Orleans and I was on tour with my band and we had like a, a full day of nothing to do before we went to go play at uh, uh, the Dixie Tavern that night or something like that. And, um, so as we're just, you know, we're just walking around the street, some guy comes up and asks for money. And I'm like, well, right, I mean, that's everywhere. But I'm like, yeah, all right, here's a, here's a couple of bucks, dude. Have a good day. And he's like, all right, man. And then he gives me like this little ball and he puts it in my hand and he's like, your mojo's in that ball and this is for you. And I'm like, uh, cool. But I tell you what, like 14 years later, I still have that ball like in one of my guitar cases. And I'm like, well, I make sure I protect my mojo ball, even though it's something silly or whatever. But it's that idea of it was the first time I like it wasn't a trinket or wasn't anything. He's just like, this is your ball of mojo. Mm. It's going to give you good luck. And I'm just like, all right, dude. Uh, But and while it's ridiculous, um, I still have that ball. And so like. That was something where you encounter something out in the wild. I mean, even if he was just doing it to have fun with me or whatever, it's still, you encounter something out in the wild that kind of, you're like, okay, usually I give a guy a couple of bucks. He says, thank you. And it says like this, I'm going, you know, I'm going straight to the liquor store. Thank you. But this guy did something else. And, uh, and I was just wondering what were your guys' first experiences with something like that out in the wild? Roy, you should talk to this. Well, I think as a kid, you know, I remember seeing things like voodoo dolls and being, you know, think that, you know, thinking that they do have power. And I think part of New Orleans culture, everybody, no matter what religion they practice or whoever they are, you kind of have a reverence for voodoo because you don't know about it. And what you don't know, it's just better to respect it and not kind of play with it if you don't know what you're kind of dealing with. Um, so I remember as a child, like hearing it and and not thinking that it was some hoo-ha joke or something but like this is something that i don't know about and it seems very powerful and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna disrespect it and i think that's a lot of people who are outside of voodoo and even today locals there 
Um, I also think New Orleans has a special, um, you know, tolerance or acceptance of ghosts. You know, they don't, they, you know, we're, mom and I were in a um, production team meeting for a TV series we're developing. And one of the um, producer says, yeah, all houses in uptown New Orleans are haunted. And so it just comes to be like, people just kind of accept this as, yeah, this is something that is part of New Orleans. It's not really, um, it, it's, it's something that we just accept as, is I think, unlike other places in the world that I've lived. Um, in my adult life, I was exposed to, to voodoo because, uh, I, my father had a, a, a chicken foot fetish hanging from his rear view, uh, window in his car when he kicked me up from the airport. I live in Scottsdale, Arizona now, but, and I said, dad, dad what's this? Cause he's Catholic. And he said, Oh, this is from my friend, uh, Sally Ann Glassman. She's a priestess and she, this is supposed to protect my car. And so I think as an adult, um, it re-exposed me to a religion that I didn't know so much about, but also part of Voodoo's history is it's been kept underground because it has been people who have been practicing it have been um, really persecuted. And now part of the mission of voodoo practitioners, voodooists, is that they really want to um, bring it out into the open, you know, bring it out from the shadows. And so um, he introduced me to this wonderful priestess who wrote the foreword for the book. Um, and who's one of the leading voodoo priestesses. She was initiated in Haiti um, in New Orleans. And so having that friendship and introduction to her uh, really helped me understand um, the beauty of this spiritual practice. You know, you mentioned something right there that I think is really interesting about uh, voodoo is that it's that connection between voodoo and other religions. It's, you know, it's an amalgamation of, of something. And I'm going to try to explain it. And then I want you guys to come in and let me know when I'm wrong. All right. Mm. Or, you know, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> so, you know, going through New Orleans voodoo, a cultural history, you kind of see that um, voodoo is a combination of the... Uh, Roman Catholicism from the mm. you know the French settlers, and then the the West African animism of mm -hmm. the uh, you know the slaves that they brought with them you know to work on the farms and everything. And then uh, as the you know a, as the slaves were looking for a way to you know still express their religion, find some control of the world around them, still have any kind of identity, um, they would integrate some of these Catholic ideas into that, you know, their own kind of religions. So we've talked about animism a lot on this podcast. So if you guys are just coming into the podcast, the idea is in animism, uh, everything is alive. There is a spirit to everything, whether it's uh, from, from the tree outside that's literally alive to my computer, which acts up on its own like it is alive and has a temperament, um, mm -hmm. there's a spirit to almost everything outside of their material or intr maybe intrinsic to their material properties. And in animism, it's that idea that uh, everything has some kind of life to it and can be communicated with as such, um, as opposed to this idea in Catholicism where everybody has a, like the people have souls. And that's about it. Yeah. And, and so that's, I'm kind of, so, and then voodoo comes about as a way of in, integrating both so the slaves can still practice their religion. Mm -hmm. But yet at the same time, the, their French overseers and stuff don't, uh, you know, feel endangered or whatever by the fact that they're 
servants are sitting practicing their own religion. Am I getting close to maybe some of the? Yeah, I I believe so. I mean, part of it was you know enslaved laborers weren't allowed to practice their own spirituality, what they brought from their you know their from their home country, and um, they often used borrowed iconography from Catholicism and Christianity because that was the acceptable. Um, so you can, you'll see certain deities or luas in, um, in voodoo have a, you know, have a, a Catholic saint, like, you know, St. Anthony or whoever associated with that saint, because that was accepted to pray to that form. And you'll still see it today that they'll have, um, a, a Catholic name associated. Another part of, you know, borrowing the Catholic, um, and the Christianity imagery and the saints and some of the spiritual practices is because, um, like you mentioned, your bag of mojo, this, these herbs or these natural products, they believe that they really did have healing properties. Um, this was a way for them to heal themselves and heal each other. But again, it was pretty threatening to people who were um, out, you know, outside. And so something like making a doll out of moss and fabric um, wasn't threatening to other people. So they had to try to use ways to um, practice their religion kind of secretively, and to protect it because um, it was very sacred to them. Well, you know, there, there also is such a thing as positive energy. I mean, in the theater, if you come, when all the actors come on stage, you, you hear this tremendous inner energy. And then leave people, they kind of show there is a whole sense of what is animating that uh, energy. And I think the, the fear in voodoo is that you'll tap, I mean, for the person coming in, is that you'll tap a negative energy. Uh, people who practice voodoo don't seem to be as terrified of negative energy as I think an Episcopalian or a Catholic might be. You know, when you hear of this Padre Pio, the Italian saint, the, the apparently the devil visited him and be- beat him up, and there were other saints that had these fights with the devil. Well, I don't think anybody, any of us want this. And, Roy, you might talk about that voodoo uh, ceremony you went to, but people have a positive and or a negative energy that comes into them. Um we all want positive energy. Yeah. I think, I think, well, within the voodoo rituals, you know, there's something called the possession experience. And Mike, you probably should talk about this on your, on your show before, but basically, you know, within these spiritual practices, um, you have to be open, you know, individually open to a, a, a saint or an ancestor. Actually it's called, you know, riding the horse coming into your body and speaking through your body. And at these, um, voodoo rituals that I uh, participated in, I did get a chance to witness um, the possession experience, which was very powerful and moving for the community and also for, for the person involved. Well, you know, the possession experience right there is something that I found really fascinating because when we've talked about possession before on the show, it's always in the form of being possessed by the devil. Right. Uh, you know, because that's, that's just our common, I mean, obviously our common... Right. Uh, cultural heritage on that is the exorcist and everybody thinks that when another form comes into you then it's going to be something evil but i mean there is a basis for that i mean in christianity they have the speaking in tongues possessed by the holy spirit uh you know the the charismatics and so i mean there is but the the idea that you are possessed by something that isn't evil Mm -hmm. but is one of the you know the spirits around there and then that might have a message for you um, I thought that, that was something super interesting that I hadn't really caught before uh, when mm-hmm. I had read and learned about voodoo. So I kind of wanted to get into that a little bit more because you mentioned before the loas and how, you know, 
they uh this is such a great word the syncretized which means mm-hmm. that you take two cultures or whatever and so the loas are the spirits in the west african religions and they uh they line up to some of the catholic saints and mm-hmm. I think it might be good to talk about a couple, I and mean, you, you go into in the book, you talk about the Loas and which saints they're related to. And it might be good to talk a little bit about uh, what are Loas, uh, how they relate, and like what Catholic saints that some of our uh, RC listeners might be familiar with. One of the things, too, I want to make sure that we, we point out, Mike, is that um, this was very challenging for me when I was doing the research, was that, you know, New Orleans voodoo is, you know, several different spiritualities coming together. And each person who practices New Orleans voodoo kind of has their own flavor to how they practice. Um, And so I just want to make sure that um, I'm respecting everybody's kind of, um, everyone's opinion and everything that I learned. So we've talked a little bit about West African spirituality coming to New Orleans. We also have mentioned Haiti as well. But there's all these different, um, very diverse cultures that have, uh, that have uh, influenced the development of New Orleans voodoo. So one thing to point out is something called the Oguns. That's another form, um, another word for Lua. And so I just want to make sure that I'm using proper language for everyone who's practices. Also, one thing to notice is I was speaking to a, a, a voodoo priestess, and she says there is actually, among the scholarship, people who don't like voodoo being called a syncretic religion. So oh, really? <laughs> there okay. are all these different, and part of my challenge with studying the spirituality was, I'm so, I went to Catholic school growing up, Catholic college, um, and, uh, you know, there's, it's it's not like a, a, this kind of parochial, there's no special catechism where you have to follow and believe these certain kind of things. So there's several different routes of kind of studying the divine or practicing your spirituality and religion. Um, and not everybody agrees on everything, which is, I think, really enlightening and really beautiful that there's an openness to it. Um, one of the women that I did um, uh, interview, I was very, uh, felt very blessed that she um, trusted me because a big part of being a re- researcher and studying spirituality, which I'm not an insider, um, her name was Janet Sula Spirit Evans. And she did a lot of her, um, she was ordained in, um, in Africa, in West Africa. And she actually doesn't like being called a priestess. She prefers to be called a priest. So there's all these different, very sure. specific. Oh, wow. So I just want to make sure when I answer questions that um, I am not the New Orleans Voodoo Authority. I've learned a lot. And a lot of people have uh, different ways of kind of practicing and different people that they pray to. So I hope that's helpful. No, I think that's right. But the thing is, when we talk about it, it's interesting because it, there is no centralized voodoo uh, document. Like nobody's coming in and saying, "Like, hold on, let me check the voodoo dictionary to make sure we're exactly. getting the words right." Exactly. There's no Bible. There's no book. Many of the voodoo couldn't read or write. You see, so it's all passed down by word of mouth and passed down differently. And which is okay for you know people who don't have a literate uh, you know heritage to pass things down because it's, it can be just as powerful. You know, but part of not writing it down was a way of preserving it too. You know, sure. Mm. Because if you wrote it down, that means it's being exposed then uh, exactly. to people who might try to stop you from doing it. I'm just looking at the book now. One of the laws that uh, is probably one of the most popular is Urzuli Frida. Um, and mm-hmm. she is uh, this Lua who just loves glamour. She's the Lua you pray to for a happy marriage, for love and relationships. And uh, when I was talking to a religious scholar, Julie Bidmore, 
Um, she was saying she brought students from Chapman University in California to New Orleans for a summer summer study program, and they just loved learning about Voodoo. But she made a, an altar, and a big part of the spiritual practice is you know making either altars to your ancestors or alter, um, altars to certain deities. Um, and her um, altar had things like pearls and lace and um, you know, beautiful, lovely roses and things like that, um, as well. So whenever you kind of pray to a certain deity, you want to also honor them and give them something. And maybe to Catholics, it might, it might seem like, oh, am I, am I bribing them a little bit, a little bit, you're just offering things that they like so that they'll help you. So that's part of it too. It's very different than, um, I think I, what I grew up with, but I love it. And I noticed in going to Sally Ann's shop, she has statues. This is a voodoo shop at the Healing Center in New Orleans. And there is Our Lady, uh, well, who we call in the Roman, Roman Catholicism, the Blessed Virgin. There's St. Michael the Archangel. He's clearly identifiable. There's St. Peter with the keys. So there are a lot of statues. And these these statues, I, I, I imagine, Roy, correct me, have different names in the voodoo religion than they would have the Catholic religion, but you would identify them as saints in the Catholic religion. Right. Yes. And so they'll have a certain name for the, uh, you know, a Catholic saint name. They'll have the Haitian Lua name. They'll have the West African Ogun name. Right. Um, it kind of depends on which kind of congregation you're in or what you believe. But yeah, we'll definitely see different um, saints that show up. And um, different kind of ancestors too. And it's not always, which I also love about it, uh, Mike and mom, is that it's not this pristine, hmm. beautiful, clean, you know, like we go to St. Louis, mom and I went to St. Louis Cathedral where uh, Voodoo Queen uh, Marie Laveau used to practice. You used to have these huge, you know, ornate ceilings and, you hmm. know, Christ, you know, crucified on a cross at the end of the altar, these beautiful paintings. You go into a voodoo temple, it's very different. You know, the aesthetics, it's small, it's closed in, It's you'll see a lot of wood, you'll see hand paintings, mm -hmm. it's a lot more comfortable. Um, the Luas, too, uh, my first voodoo ceremony, um, they said, you know, the Lua, he's a little bit bawdy, he's a little bit sexual and sexualized. So if he possesses someone, which he did, he possessed the voodoo priestess, her entire body and her physique changed. She put on a top hat, she was dancing around, you know, in a sultry way. And so you wouldn't see this, you know, in other, maybe other types of, you know, churches, they're open to um, accepting that and embracing that as part of, you know, who we are as humans and who, who become as spirits. You know, I think that's a great point too, uh, because you think when you go into the great cathedrals or whatever, um, or, you know, you've been to St. Patrick's or even any, I mean, even in Milwaukee, uh, the cathedral that my mother grew up going to uh, was a basilica. So it's built by the Polish immigrants, and it's just this massive, gorgeous, beautifully, you know, kept pristine building. And then you go into like a, a voodoo shop or like a botanica. Uh, yeah. You know, and you'll see like the corner will be the altar, and the altar will have a statue. Maybe there's a skull, and there's cigarettes like put in the skull's mouth oh, yes. and pennies thrown in and things and little things like that, that people leave as an offering and the difference in an altar that it seems like regular people use or are using because they're praying for a raise or praying for their sister who's sick or you know, all these kind of things are, they're, they're looking for favors in any kind of place they can get favors versus, uh, the gigantic cathedral used a few times a week or whatever uh, for a big group to come in and worship together. And so I, I like that difference too in the idea that voodoo uh, 
is just, I think mean, dirty isn't the way to put it. I think real is the way to put it. Like yeah. it's, it's a, you know, it's a religion that people use because they're trying to affect their environment, have a positive impact or have some kind of control and connection to the world around them. Exactly. It's very real. It's, it's very, dirty. it's very dirty. I'm sorry. It's also dirty. That that always surprised me. Like when you go to the voodoo historical uh, society, there's it's kind of like dusty everywhere, isn't it, Rory? And you know, dusty altar. There's like uh, old pennies and old pieces of paper, and uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know whether why that is. Why? The, well, uh, I think part of it is the barrier has been removed. So voodoo is very much inviting. It wants you to participate. It doesn't want you to be passive in the pews. It wants you to get up and dance. It wants you to get up and, and give a dollar. It wants you to knock three times on the floor and, and ask Marie Laveau to bring healing to your family. You know, um, it's it, they don't we don't have the same kind of um physical barricades that you'll see in different places, you know, and even at the New Orleans voodoo museum, you'll see people take Polaroids. They, they leave lipstick, they leave money because they want to show respect and they want to show gratitude and they want to ask, ask what's beyond what we can see, you know, spirits, ancestor, God, saints to, to help us. And we, we will show our gratitude, you know, there's that openness there. And so we just were talking about the difference maybe um, between, uh, you know, a Christian church and a voodoo altar. When you guys were working on the book and you go through and talk about the different ceremonies you've been to, you know, if you would sum up a voodoo ceremony or say like how it proceeds, uh, the ones that you guys attended, what would you say like the, the big difference, a little bit you just said is that everybody gets involved and stuff, but how would you describe a voodoo ceremony as compared to going to church? Um. Well, I can talk about this uh, if you like. Um, I went to a, uh, a Buddhist ceremony a few months ago, and it was in honor of La Seren. And La Seren is the beautiful goddess, mermaid goddess who lives underneath the sea. And, you know, before you come to, I, I researched, you know, what, what what is involved in these kind of ceremonies. And before you go to ceremony, you have to make sure you bring something. It's like going to a friend's house for a dinner. You want to bring the host a gift, right? It's that kind of reverence. Sure. And so I, I brought her, she loved things of, of glamour and beauty. And so I brought her like rhinestone barrettes and some nail polish. And then I thought, well, can she paint her nails underneath the sea? And then I was like, Rory, don't try to make a logical decision. It, it gives beauty. Um, and so, uh, at the ceremony, you know, at your, you need to wear white. That's a big part of it in New Orleans, Buddha, which I've, um, I've witnessed in some places I've gone and you always wear something covering your head, a scarf, like a purple scarf or for La Seren, her color is light blue. So a light blue scarf would work or a white scarf. And I of course forgot mine. So someone there had an extra one. Uh, and they're used to having people from, you know, from the outside come and they welcome. Uh, and so the New Orleans, um, Onfu or the congregation um, with Sally Ann Gossman, the priestess I usually visit, she actually had the ceremony in her home. And so it was outside on her porch, this beautiful home downtown um, in like the, the Bywater Marigny uh, area. And, uh, you know, there's, we're all set up on the porch and there's a, a pair of steel is like the wooden posts that usually um, do a lot of walking in a circle around this um area is chanting and singing and dancing and there was a Haitian drummers who came to drum because a big part of invoking the the gods is having the drum line because that's like the heartbeat um, that really in, lets them know that you're here you want them to come you're 
you're really inviting them, um, their presence in. And so um, there's a lot of, there's a, there was a male priest who was co-leading the ceremony, who was singing, and then there, there was a congregation of regulars all dressed in white. We're all barefoot, no shoes, just dancing, and um, he'll say something, uh, you know, I bo bo, and then, you know, you repeat it back. So there's a lot of kind of call and response. Um, and then with the La Serene ceremony, because it was a, she's a, a mermaid deity, uh, when she possesses someone, because she doesn't have legs, part of the ritual is oftentimes she has to be, the person possessed has to be wrapped in a sheet and lifted and literally carried because they become her. And actually during the ceremony that did happen, um, uh, the person who actually shared with me his scarf um, uh, became possessed by La Serene. And then that moment, you always have to, as a congregation, protect them from falling or you don't want anyone to ever get injured. And so you basically just, when they, when they become possessed, you, you catch them, you carry them, you lay them onto the ground. They brought out a sheet, they wrapped his body up and um, they bring, oftentimes the, the gods like rum. So they, <laughs> there's, there's alcohol, there's drinking in New Orleans voodoo sometimes to call for rum and um, was whispering to, to, to someone, not loud enough for everyone to hear. Um, but basically the idea is the deity will speak through that person or the ancestor will speak through that person and share it with someone. And then the person who becomes possessed doesn't remember. And if you want to know, then the the words that were told to someone else will be told to you if that's what the deity wants. And so I I wasn't in his kind of inner circle to learn what she had said, but I was able to really witness this beautiful kind of possession experience. And then after that, it happened it was just for a few moments. And then we continued singing and dancing and kind of mm. our ceremony. But it was a it was a, a beautiful, fun, exciting, thrilling. Um, mm. Well, just like a dinner party, right? It's you could bring a six pack at least, you know. Yeah. So you know, you say like you bring a gift. Well, you know, the usual thing. It's like, well, I'll bring a bottle of wine or say at least. Yeah, here. people bring wine, rosé. They brought champagne for you know, <laughs> rum. And so, but that kind of ceremony was that something? So you know, when you think about going to church, there's you see that you drive by and then they'll say Saturday four o'clock and then Sunday seven, nine and 11 or something like that. Like how do people know there's a voodoo ceremony going on? Like it's not like a Facebook event, is it? Right. Well, I think part of it is um, it, you really have to be connected with a congregation and gain the trust and respect of a priest or priestess. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it and knowing and, um, you know, the priestess will post for her friends on Facebook, okay, this Saturday we're going to be, you know, giving a ceremony to Legba or whichever um, law it might be, you know. And so you just look up, what is he like, goat cheese, a coffin, nail, wood, whatever it is, you know, and you bring that to the event. And usually it's at the temple each time. And hers, uh, the woman that I'm associated with, who I really respect, Sally Ann Glassman, she opens hers up to the public. But again, it's having that relationship, you know, and it's not something that really needs to be marketed or, you know, uh, put a sign up on the road to get people because people, again, voodoo finds you. You come to voodoo, you form these relationships, you learn and you grow with it, you know. Well, you know, that thing you said right there again, you said, you know, you don't find voodoo, it finds you. How did it find both of you? You know, what was the, uh, you know, Rosary, how did voodoo find you where now you're compelled to author a book on it? Well, I've had some near-death experiences, and I think because of that, I had I've had in my life several visitations by uh, people. I almost died. I had breast cancer, and uh, twelve years ago, and almost died from that. And then um, my mother, I I used to be a full professor at Loyola, 
And I was debating leaving Loyola because I had gotten a Fulbright to Paris. And uh, I was going to have to give up tenure and full professorship, which we know is a hard thing to get this oh, yeah. case. Oh, so, but I wanted to take this trip. And the night before, I had this visitation with my mother. She was dead. And she was there actually in my mom. And I so experienced her being there so much. And she kept pointing to this picture of Edgar Degas. She said, do it, do it. When, of course, I was getting the Fulbright to write a play about Edgar Degas. The next day, I went into the president's office at Loyola University, and the same picture was of the desk of his secretary. And I thought, i got to have to resign. And I went in, and I said, I'm leaving Loyola. So I was like, I had a clear message from my mother. Now, that was way before I wrote the book on voodoo, but I had that experience, and I've had that experience several times, where a person who's been dead was actually, they call it a visitation, it was actually present in my room. You could touch them, feel them, you knew they were there. It was like an aha experience. So having had that, for me to believe in voodoo was a pretty much a natural step. I didn't know anything about it until I was invited to do this book. But it was curious to me that it was religion that where people connected with and called back to people from the dead, because I had had several experiences in my life of connection deeply with people who had died. And I could give you more. Um, if I, And my daughter, Rory, has had the same experience. So we bonded on that uh, deep belief in a natural life. Well, how do you bring that up to each other? Uh, like, I, I think if I told my mom I saw a dead person or whatever, she'd be like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, you, right? It's like, Mike, you do, you do go to the bar a lot, Mike. You know what I mean? The kind of thing would be like, so, um, I mean, I think that's beautiful that you guys can talk to each other like that and share that kind of bond where you can believe each other when things like that happen. And so um, when you first had that experience, Rosary, when your mother came in and, and said, like, you should go, make sure you go to, first First of all, uh, I, I would have said go too, because come on, Paris, you're going to love it. Um <laughs> Yeah, good too, right? <laughs> you know, take that. Oh, but the thing is, um, when when she came in, was it like, oh, it's mom again, or holy crap, what yeah. are you doing here, or what was the feeling? Of? Well, I was on the street. She was sitting in a blue chair on in, in the middle of the street. I'm like, what's she doing, sitting in this chair outside? And and then her 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 her, uh, she looked very very frail, very small. I said, mother, I'm so happy you're not dead. You're alive. It's wonderful. And she said, I am dead. And that was a real shock. So you are? She said, I am dead. I said, oh, no. Why are you here? So I'm saying, but I, it was very present to me. I, I've always been a devout Catholic since I was a child. And in New Orleans, and I think that's the difference, really. I don't think when you talk about someone came to you, I don't think you're going to get a freaky response. Do you, Rory? I mean, people, yeah. you've had these experiences. You've. I think that in New Orleans, people except that there's life after death and that oh, there yeah. are ghosts walking the streets, you know. Um, there was a Haitian priest who ordained Sally Ann who didn't like to come to New Orleans because the, there were so many, you know, spirits kind of there and it's a, a, for some reason. But I think that growing up, you know, I, we lived in a house in Carrollton Avenue and we, you know, we had, we saw a ghost there and we'd talk about it and it happened more than once. And and I would think, oh, God, I can't talk about this. People are going to think I'm crazy. But when you mention it, people say, oh, you're uptown or you're New Orleans. Like, of course you saw ghosts like that. It's kind of accepted. It's uh, more of the truth. Um, but we had one experience in our house where a poltergeist actually wow. came running through. And it was a shared experience between me, my dad and my brother. And we all saw the same thing. So it's like, OK, well, it's not just me saying this. Other people are having a, a similar or shared experience. Um mm -hmm. And so I think trust in the family, just being able to talk about that and share it with people 
Um, you know, also I'm, I'm always careful, like, who am I talking to about this? You know, will they think that, what will they think of me? But, you know, in New Orleans, it is so common, um, that, uh, it, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty safe to talk about things that people are interested. People are curious. They want to know more. Um, and we kind of like having these experiences because we know we're not alone. Well, do you have an example like, I mean, that was a great uh, synchronicity in Rosary's story, the idea that, you know, you saw the painting and then there's the, there's the painting like over the secretary's office. Like that Mm -hmm. is, I mean, that's, that's your answer served up to you on a platter. Rory, have you had a similar kind of experience like that where uh, like a synchronicity blew your mind uh, in that kind of way? Um, Yes, I have. I was, I'm trying to figure out which, which to tell you. I, I was, it was actually when I was a kid, it was, I was really young and, um, my sister, I think she was in eighth grade, uh, or at eighth grade. And so I must've been like in 10th grade or something. And I told her, um, Dale, mom, do you remember this at the dinner table? I said, Dale, I had a dream last night about your friend, um, Melissa. And we were at De La Salle. We were by the, the, soda uh, machine and she came to me and she said tell your sister that i'm okay mm. I, I want you to tell dale that it's okay i'm okay don't worry about me don't worry about me and so i told dale i was like i don't i don't know why but your friend melissa matoy you know she was in my dream the other night and um she wants you to know that she's okay um not to worry and then right after dinner dale got a phone call that uh, melissa had been killed by a drunk driver and mm accident mm. um and so i don't think for me that was like what an early experience where i was like well maybe i you know i'm i don't know i'm open to to having these experience or learning but sometimes i i do feel that you know the other you know can they can share messages with us and try to you know in their grief give us solace as well so. well that's a holy crap kind of moment though like you had a dream mm-hmm. about somebody that died and then you like you shared it with them. Like to me, I mean, I've seen some weird stuff, but no, like like that would be like I'm like I'm a believer, you got me. Yeah. Something like that happens. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, um it I think it was it was scary. Well, in the moment I didn't know what was happening. Like, okay, I'll just tell my sister this. I don't you know. And then when she got that phone call, I was like, Oh, okay. And so there is a way for people who like perhaps, you know, spirits to, to share messages with us. Does that make you paranoid then when you have dreams about people? Uh, a little, yeah. <laughs> I mean, not, I'm not like, I mean, it's not a common thing, but yeah, it, it does make, when you have these kind of experiences where you have a dream or a visitation, or I have very dreams that seem so incredibly real, um, it's a little, it is a little terrifying. And, you know, some people who practice Buddha believe in astral projection and, this idea that our, our spirits do travel when we sleep. So I'm open to learning more about that. You know, I, the thing with religion and spirituality is like, there is no answer. No one really, no one really knows. And so, you know, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see what the truth is. Sure. Um, now, this is a question for both of you guys. As you were working on the book, because obviously working, a, a book is a big project and it's months of your life. And I was wondering, so Rosary, what do you think is the biggest maybe myth that you dispelled for yourself or the biggest thing that you learned working on the book was something you didn't know before or it changed your opinion uh, on it a little bit. How brilliant my daughter is because she's the leader on the project. All right. (laughs) Anything I learned. In terms of voodoo, I know the question there is, uh, you know, 
I would say her openness, uh, the openness of her and her generation to uh, a, a more a divine experience. And that's extremely comforting to me. Mm-hmm. And that there is a lot of truth and good and there is an afterlife. I always felt there was, but in voodoo, it's such a presence of the religion. Mm-hmm. And so, Rory, what, was, what do you think is your, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing that changed for you maybe uh, in your head? Or maybe, maybe you learned of your own brilliance at the same time. But, uh, I mean, <laughs> no, no. You know, creating a book, though, it is a project where you're hoping that by engaging in a big, the journey of creating something big, uh, that it does change something in yourself, whether it's what you think in your head or your belief or anything like that. So I just wondered what was the biggest thing for you? Um, for me, it was a huge, you know, research project. It was, I've already written my dissertation, but it felt like doing a whole other dissertation because there was so much involved in um, studying the research about this religion. And it was really exciting to see how... Um, there are so many students who are writing dissertations now on voodoo and exploring it as um, a, um, a legitimate religion. And something that I learned from um, a beautiful priestess, um, uh, Brandy Kelly, who runs Voodoo Authentic, Authentica down the French Court, is she said that she told me that voodoo is a legitimate religion. And that was the first thing you had to accept in really respectfully researching this and writing about this. I thought it's just to accept that this is a legitimate religion, just like there are hundreds and thousands of other religions, that it has a history, it has different uh, feast days, it has different saints, it has different icons, it has different rituals involved. Um, And just being open to exploring all those facets of it and the complexity of it, and really fighting my need to create one kind of minimalist, simplified Mm -hmm. answer, because that, that is not what voodoo is. You know, it's interesting as we're talking about it and as I'm reading the book, um, going over it, we've had people on the show before like Dr. Dean Radin and his book Real Magic and uh, Gary Lockman, and he's had several books that talk about consciousness and chaos magic and things. And in chaos magic, you create rituals and basically you take little bits of every religion that you know about or every religion you care about or even make up. And you put it together into a system where you're focusing your intent and your will to try to create some kind of outcome or try to get a communication. Or it's the same kind of thing when you talk about the, the possession. Like they have, uh, you know, that sometimes they'll call out the guardian angels or demons or people that are in these 18th century grimoires. And you're, you know, you're looking at that from a modern perspective that some people even make up uh, a ritual to Cthulhu, like Lovecrafty and stuff. But to, it, the whole idea is focusing your intent and belief in, in in one way. And so as you were talking about voodoo is a very personal thing. Uh, everybody practices it differently. Um, you're taking bits of Catholicism, you know, bits of African religion, bits, you know, all the all the groups that came together uh, in a city like New Orleans, and then people create their own kind of religion from it it just made me think that the more things change you know the more they stay the same because Uh we talk about chaos magic from like the 1990s or dr dean radin's book that just came out last year uh you're like okay then really people have been doing this for centuries now taking the little bits and pieces and putting together their own way of viewing the world and seeing 
the spiritual in their own lives from the bits and pieces that you know they always make the joke about cafeteria catholicism right like you believe this part you don't believe that part or whatever but i think that's how people treat spirituality because there can be parts that really resonate inside you and there's gonna be parts that don't um and i think this book really gets that message across because it seems that the voodoo uh the voodoo practitioners that you talk to come from all walks of life yeah, that's true and yeah and, and that um, because we think of this idea, oh, the voodoo priest is going to look like Marie Laveau or something like that. And But you guys have seen different examples of that. And can you speak a little bit about that, how uh, people have come to it from all different walks of life? Well, yes, Sally Glassman is a PhD, and she's from the East Coast, and she's uh, Jewish. And they have uh, people uh, in, uh, in Brooklyn, New York, who who are from Connecticut, uh, I mean, who have reason for saying People very, very highly schooled and intellectual, and other people kind of pretty grassroots and uneducated, but all with this common desire to connect with a higher power with an afterlife. And so, like, you know, finally, uh, we got time for about one more question here. I'd just like to say, if, if there's one message that people can get from the book that you'd like to make sure if they're going to read, first of all, everybody should read Norland's Voodoo, A Cultural History, because you're going to learn a ton of things. Um, and of course, we have a link available on the website where you can jump to it and then purchase your copy uh, right there. And I'd recommend it because it doesn't look to it from a, uh, it's not too woo-woo kind of thing. And it's also, uh, it's a cultural history, but it's not like a textbook. So you're not going to read it and get bored uh, while you do that. If I was able to make my way through it, you guys are going to love it. So that's the thing. So for both of you, what's the, uh, for people who are reading the book, what's the one message you want to make sure they get that you feel uh, if they don't get it, they miss something? I think voodoo is a pathway to God. And you can learn a lot about how to grow closer to God in this religion. I would say um, voodoo empowers and voodoo heals mm-hmm. and um, there is no death. All right. Well, I want to thank you guys very much for joining us today. If people want to learn more about, first of all, you can go to the show notes, othersidepodcast.com slash 264, and you're going to get direct links uh, to their websites. But if you people want to find and learn more about you and your work, where's the place they can go to do it? Well, Rory and I are working on a a TV series right now, which is called God and District, District Productions. They can look that up online and find out more about that. Right, Rory? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's a side project we're working on is a television show development guard district series, but there will be a ghost element, a paranormal kind of element, because that's part of New Orleans culture. There may even be voodoo element, too, that we will write into the script. So we do have a guard district Facebook page. Um, Rosary and I both have our own websites. Mine's www.roryoneillschmidt.com. And mom, is yours Ro- rosaryoneillproductions.com? rosaryoneillproductions.com is um but yeah we look forward to connecting with people and answer questions and learning you know we're constantly um learning from others and, and thank you so much mike for having us thank you mike love being here now when i was reading new orleans voodoo a cultural history the idea of possession in a voodoo ceremony really struck me as something different and interesting to at least my religious upbringing instead of being possessed by the holy spirit like the charismatic christians who speak in tongues they get possessed by a variety of different laws 
which are the spirits that act between humans and God. Now, whether it's the Lord of the Dead, like Papa Gede, or Papa Legba, the trickster of the crossroads that we talked about in the Robert Johnson Blues Crossroads episode, in the ceremony, the participant becomes a vessel for the spirit to speak through and often doesn't remember it. That kind of surrender to the invisible powers of the world seemed dangerous but exciting. It's exactly the type of thing that people who tell you you shouldn't play with Ouija boards would warn you against, but it's also the kind of thing that seems like a powerful spiritual experience. So we took that for the inspiration for this week's song. Here's Sunspot with Possess Me. I walked with the zombie somewhere on Bourbon Street. Listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Well, September's coming to an end. Already. It's almost our favorite month. That's right. And that means it's time to hang out. That's right. Rocktober Patreon Hangout <laughs> coming up October 2nd, 7 30 p.m. Central. If you guys are yeah. Patreons, we would love to hang out with you. It's actually our September hangout, but we're going to have it at the beginning of October. So there will be another proper October one toward the end, Absolutely. toward the Halloween end of the month. That's right. And make sure you get your pagan on because September 21st <laughs> is coming soon. The Equinox is here already. Yeah. Yes. Unbelievable. Wild. I feel like we were just talking about... Uh, we were just May talking Day. about the right. We were just talking about May Day and the last right. equinox and uh, ceremonies and everything. Anyway, I'm getting my virgins ready and getting <laughs> right, getting the sacrificial <laughs> altar, uh, and I can't wait to call all of my satanic ritual friends and get it going. Yeah. So mark your calendar for Wednesday, October second. We're gonna light a bonfire and dance around it That's virtually right. over Skype. 
That's right. Uh, no, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we would love to hang out with you guys on Skype. Now, if you are not yet a Patreon member and want to check it out, just send us an email. We can get you in for a little while and you can hang out and talk with everybody. Uh, but then we'll have to kick you out and just hang out with the patrons. <laughs> yes, it's like a, a try before you buy kind of situation. Exactly. And we would be remiss if we did not thank Dr. Ned for his wonderful support. Ned, thanks so much. And it was great seeing you at our show last week at the Vintage. And I hope we see you in Monona this Thursday. We'll be playing uh, at a pop-up beer garden at Schluter Beach in Monona if you're in the area. If you are a Patreon, come there. Come on, we'll dedicate a song to you. There you go. All right. October 2nd is where we'll be hanging out. If you're interested in joining, the place to go is othersidepodcast.com slash donate. Oh, man, Mike, I'm... uh, Excuse you. (laughs) Your mojo's in that ball. And this is for you. This is your ball of mojo. It's going to give you good luck.